0: good morning how are we doing good. Christmas what in the world did we blink and 2021 went by I think we did I think the older you get the faster time seems to fly by but um, let me pray and we'll get started father thank you thank you for each person that's here this morning each person that's walking online watching online father I pray for Lord that you would truly be the teacher People don't need to hear from me, we need to hear from you. So Lord, as I have felt led by your spirit this week and what you wanted me to say, I pray that it would flow and you would refresh our hearts, you would give us a greater confidence in the gospel. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for all these little ones, Lord. Bless them and their parents. May, as they sing about Jesus, it be real to them at a young age. Their hearts are tender, Lord. Bless them, strengthen them. Bless and strengthen us as a family. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's in a name? What's in a name? That's a line made famous from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Did you know that? How many knew that? Laura, I knew you knew. Um, So Juliet is bemoaning the last name of Romeo because his last name was the sworn enemy of her family. And so he says, well, what's in a name? He says, a rose still smells like a rose, even if you call it something different. Now, do you really think I'm familiar with Shakespeare? I Googled that, all right? I wanted to know where did that phrase come from, what's in a name? But is that true? Do names matter? My great-grandfather's name was Frank Benjamin Applegate. My dad's name was Frank Applegate, and my name is Scott Franklin Applegates. So we're all named after uh, Frank Applegate, Frank Benjamin Applegate. And I'm grateful my parents told me that they almost named me Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. But my golf buddies they just call me double bogey. That's that's the name they I've been given. Double bogey. But biblically names have meaning. They have a calling, a identity when you read the names in the Bible how they came up with those names. And My wife's name, Janelle, means God has been gracious, and it's actually from a Hebrew. And boy, has God been gracious to me by giving me her as my wife. I think about that all the time. We're in a a series, or we're kicking off a brand new series called He Shall Be Called. And there's three spots in the Gospels in introducing the... uh, the interaction between Joseph and Mary and the angel and the announcement that she was going to become pregnant. And we're going to work off those three passages of he shall be called and look into the names and titles that were given at Jesus's, at at the immaculate conception, what he was to be called or what he was going to be called. So today, we're looking at he shall be called Jesus. In Matthew 1... Beginning in verse eighteen, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly if they were engaged, why did he have to do, why would he divorce her well in ancient times and in that culture, to be engaged was as binding as it was the marriage itself. It kind of came in in two steps, but the first was, was binding. So it says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a A son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why the name Jesus? Why the name Jesus? What's in a name? What's in that name? The most powerful name. When you speak the name of Jesus, we're speaking the authority. All all authority has been given to the name of Jesus. Everything. You speak the name of Jesus, you're speaking the name of the one who holds eternity in his hands, who holds all things together. It's a powerful name. Let's dig this out a little bit. Why the name Jesus? First of all, he was named by by and after his father. His father gave him the name Jesus. And he was passing on his name to his son, as his son entered into humanity in the incarnation, I want him to be called Jesus. Don't be thinking that the father's name is Jesus. You'll understand what I'm saying here in just a second. When you look in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, Psalm 68 verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. God is our salvation. And then Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In Jerusalem, there's a museum called the Dead Sea Scroll Museum and had the privilege of of going in it before. And if you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, in 1940s, somewhere in that neighborhood, in the caves of Qumran, which are down by where the Dead Sea is, in the southern desert part of Israel. And in the 40s, there were some shepherd boys who had had some sheep wander off. So they walked up to the base of the caves that were up on the hill, and they tossed rocks up there, see if they could maybe scare the, the sheep out of them, <laughs> scare the sheep out of the out of the cave. Sorry, that wasn't in the notes. That was free. But... Um, they heard this chattering of like some pottery or something. And so they wandered up there and they found these old scrolls of the Bible, book of Isaiah, the prophets, the law. And these scrolls had been there since six to 800 years before Jesus even came to the earth. So these are old. So they're on display in the Dead Sea Scroll uh, Museum. And I remember when I was there the second time, our guide, his name was Dror. And you spelled it D-R-O-R. And his name in Hebrew means freedom. So what's in a name? It means something to him. His name means freedom. And I said, Hey, Dror, would you just read, read this random script to me, read it to me. And he starts reading in Hebrew. And what I heard was Yeshua. I went, hold on, I didn't understand a word you said, but you just said Yeshua. He said, yeah. And I said, what passage are we reading? It was Isaiah 12, 3. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus's Hebrew name. It's how you say his name in Hebrew. Jesus's name literally means God's salvation. So every time someone who can read Hebrew is reading in the Old Testament and you see the word salvation or God's salvation, it's the word Yeshua. What's in a name? He shall be called Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Isn't that powerful? You don't seem as amazed as I am, but uh, you're quietly processing, I can tell. His name means God's salvation. He was named on purpose, Jesus. Secondly, What's in in his name or why the name Jesus? His name defined his mission. His name defined his mission. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. In his name, Jesus defines his mission. He came for people that are lost, like me, to find them the context of Luke nineteen ten is the story of Zacchaeus you know the wee little lad right the kid's song Zacchaeus was a tax collector and tax collectors were really considered the scum of the earth by their fellow Jews because tax collectors collected taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire and they were told if you you to collect X amount for us, and then whatever you collect beyond that, you get to keep for yourselves. So not only were they working for their oppressors, but they were also extorting money from their own people at their expense. So they weren't liked. They had bad reputations. They were rich, but they weren't liked. And so Zacchaeus, we're told in that passage, is a short man. I always think when I read Luke 19 of like, Danny DeVito playing Zacchaeus if they made a movie about it because he said the short little guy right a wee little lad and says Zacchaeus was coming he knew Jesus was coming and he wanted to see him he wanted to hear him he had heard about him and he climbs a tree right to see and hear Jesus and Jesus sees him in the tree and he looks him in the eye and he says Zacchaeus come down from that tree, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Zacchaeus gets down and he, he comes and he, to Jesus and he repents and he says, "If Lord, if I've taken more than I should, I'll pay it back double. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house for the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Now think about that. Zacchaeus didn't fill out a connection card. He didn't walk the aisle. He didn't pray a prayer. He looked into the eyes of God's salvation, the face of God in Jesus. And this gets me. And he felt like a person, a human, the image of God. Jesus didn't just look him in the eye because Zacchaeus was part of his mission. Part of his mission. Then I think of the Apostle Paul. In uh, Acts, before Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul's going around killing Christians and ordering Christians to be thrown in jail because they were, you know, they were following this new way. And he thought it was his obligation to God to, to rid of this new idea of following this guy named Jesus. And yet Paul, on the Damascus road, Jesus comes face to face with him and he tells him he's his chosen instrument to declare the gospel to the world. Paul was a religious terrorist, right? And yet Jesus chooses his enemy to be his mouthpiece. Like that just so like Jesus, when you really begin to get the gospel, he transforms the apostle Paul. And Paul to Timothy, his young protege, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ, Je- Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. There's a connection there to realizing your brokenness, and Paul had understood that. And there was another guy in the Reformation named Martin Luther, if you've never heard of him. He was one of the reformers when the church was you know, at a fairly low point, not really preaching the gospel. It was about a lot of other things. Began to declare that the, the gospel is grace by, by faith alone and Christ alone and all of that. And uh, Martin Luther, in, I was reading in his commentary in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 says that, that Jesus um, gave himself for our sins. And in his commentary, here's what Luther wrote. Maybe this will will bless you this morning. He says, When the devil accuses us and says, You are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, Because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. And I reply, No, for I fly to Christ, who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me "...by setting forth the greatness of my sins and trying to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, you give me armor, weapons against yourself, so that your own so- with your own sword I may cut your throat and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners." As often as you object that I'm a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ my Redeemer, on whose shoulders, and not on mine, lie all my sins. So when you say I'm a sinner, you do not terrify me, but you comfort me immeasurably. Christ died for sinners. That means he died for me, and he died for you. He, his name defined his mission. And then lastly, his name declared his victory. So he was named by and after his father. You shall call him Jesus, for he saved his people from their sins. It defined his mission, and then his name declares his victory. Um, In the gospel accounts, in the four gospels, there's seven different recorded things that Jesus said from the cross. One of the most powerful ones is he said, It is finished right? It is finished. And then he, he gave up his, his, his spirit. It was finished. He'd come to accomplish his, minute, his mission, and his mission was done. He came to come into humanity in the incarnation, what we're celebrating at Christmas. God becomes flesh, and he enters into our brokenness, our broken world, our broken humanity. He becomes one of us with flesh, bones, needed to eat needed to have his little have his little diaper change when he was a baby i mean all the things like he came into this this world and he came to undo the fall of adam adam and eve when they sinned they 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 brought humanity with them and jesus came to undo that to to fix and, and redeem that we see that over and over As in Adam, all die. As in Christ, all will be made alive. So Jesus, (laughs) his mission and his victory are powerful. Paul told Titus, he says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we did in righteousness, but in accordance with his mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Whom he richly poured out upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The heart of the gospel is the victory of Jesus. Back in the ancient times, someone they would send an evangelist to go from town to town to declare the victory of the King. That, the word evangelist, the Christians didn't in, invent that. The word evangel means good news, where we get our word gospel. An evangelist is somebody that declares that good news. So when there was a victory in a war, and they wanted the people to know, so they would go town to town, hey, our king and our soldiers won the war, and they would declare the victory. That's what we're doing every time you read the gospel, share the gospel, think about the gospel, we're declaring the victory of Jesus. The gospel is not something we do. It's something that's been done. That's very key. So there's three, three enemies, our enemies, that Jesus defeated in his life, death, and resurrection. And the first one is he defeated our enemy called sin. The enemy of sin. There's a lot of definitions of sin and a lot of perspectives and you know some call it missing the mark of God but I I think sin is disaligning ourselves from the will of God and from God's best God's laid out his will and what's best and he wants what's best for each one of us and when we choose to go a different way we disalign ourselves from from his will like when your car, you hit a curb, and your car goes out of alignment, and it wants to pull left or pull right, and you got to kind of battle that. That's sin. We're, we're, we're disaligned from the will of God and from what His best is. And young people in here, listen, whatever God tells you to do, it's because He loves you. Whatever He asks you not to do, it's because He loves you. He always has our best interest at heart. I so wish I would have known that in my formidable years and teen years that God had my best interest at heart. It wasn't a set of do's and don'ts and thou shalt's and all of that. It was God loves me and he wants what's best for me. In uh, John's gospel, John the Baptist is recorded saying this when he saw Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world wow what did he mean by that well in the old testament sacrificial system they would you know kill animals or a lamb to atone for the people's sin and we see in the book of hebrews which is a new testament book it's written to jewish christians jews who were following jesus that's the context whenever you read hebrews don't forget that and he goes through how Jesus is greater than anything. that Jesus is the fulfillment and greater than anything in, in the law. And he's the fulfillment of all of that. But he actually, the writer actually makes a statement that says that the blood was not for the God, but it was for the conscience of the people to have their conscience clean. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he who knew no sin that's jesus became sin so that we could become the righteousness of god in christ wow that's powerful here's a question you might be thinking if he defeated sin why do i still sin i wonder if you were thinking that that's the million dollar question if sin's been defeated then why why do i still sin well, when you think of salvation, always think of it in three tenses. There's a past tense understanding of I was saved by Jesus and what he did. Then there's a present tense experience of I am being saved. Then there's a future tense I will be saved. So the, the biblical New Testament words that we use are I was justified, past tense, by my faith in what Jesus did. Paul talks a lot about this word justify. <laughs> And then I am being saved is what we call sanctification. In the present experience of the gospel, those that are participating in Christ and, and being His follower and trusting in Him, you are being changed day by day. You're becoming a little bit more like Him. You're more aware when you make mistakes and you're more aware of His grace, right? And it's it's, it's not done. We are still on the... On the uh, construction site, whatever word I was trying to figure out there, you know what I mean. We're under construction. Glorification is the future tense of salvation that at the resurrection of the body, we are going to get bodies like Jesus's resurrection after three days. You know, he could do some cool stuff like walk through walls and things of that nature. And yet he still ate. He still had food. He said, handle me. I'm, I'm flesh and bone just like you. But the glorified body. Glorification is we won't be able to die. We won't be able to sin. We'll be in a state of glorification. And it's important that we remember that. So you still sin because you're not done. He's not done letting you, making you realize who you are in Christ and how to walk with Him and little by little, undoing our wrong thoughts and, and unlearning stuff about ourselves and others. Second victory he had was he defeated our enemy called death. He defeated our enemy called death. Paul told Timothy in his second letter, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, check this, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When you abolish something, when when our country abolished slavery, we did away with it. Jesus did away with the power of death. And you might be thinking, "Well, why do we still die? It's a good question. We'll talk through that. In the sense Jesus abolished our fear of death. We don't have to fear death anymore. He, 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 the, the power of death was abolished. How did he do that? He submitted himself to death. Jesus submitted Himself to death. He said 20-something times to His disciples. Listen, I'm going to go suffer and die at the hands of evil men. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He knew. He submitted Himself to it. He said He was the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though they die, they'll live. That's a pretty good promise. He's the resurrection and the life. And I know... As believers, when we talk about death or you experience the loss of a loved one, it hurts because we're people, we grieve, we're going to miss somebody. It's like, don't feel, don't feel guilty for that. It's like Woody Allen, the comedian said, he said, uh, he said I don't fear dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Um, it's It's true. Like we all want to live to be a ripe old age and die in our sleep and fly off to Jesus. And, you know, but he took the the power out of death. He took the power out of death. Remember in death, death actually becomes a a doorway. (laughs) Remember in Field of Dreams? Anybody remember Field of Dreams? So it's if you build it, they will come. And this guy has a, Kevin Costner plays a guy that has a cornfield. He's told to grow. A, you know, he's a farmer, and one day he hears a voice. You know, if you build it, they'll come, and so forth. He mows down his corn and makes a baseball field out of it, and the the outfield is corn rows. And these, it's not a very theologically sound movie, but these dead baseball players would show up in the cornfield, and they would they would play. And he had a guy played by. Uh, Terrence Mann was played by James Earl Jones. You remember him? And he was along for the ride. He was an author that loved baseball. Towards the end of the story, he's like, I want to go through the cornfield, which the players come and go through. And it's like, well, there could be consequences that you don't get to come back. And he's like, I'm going to go experience this. If you remember in the story, he kind of peeks through the corn and then he looks back at Kevin Costner and smiles. And then he goes through and he just kind of disappears like the baseball players did um, every day that they came in. I think that's an okay description for us as believers that death's a doorway that we go through to go into a place of perfect bliss in the presence of Jesus. The last enemy that he defeated for us is the devil. The enemy called the devil. He disarmed The powers of wickedness, the principalities and and rulers and fallen angels and demons. He disarmed their power by his death and resurrection. The Apostle John says the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. When you destroy something, you, you you do away with it. The devil had the power of death. Jesus took the keys of death and Hades. He took, stripped him of his authority by what he did. That's why everybody, uh, everything and all creation, Jesus is the authority over it all. He's a defeated terrorist. And we still see evil in the world. He's still an influencer and he's got his schemes and his tactics. But he's a defeated foe. He's a defeated terrorist. Have you ever been stung by a wasp or a bee? It's not fun. Like, it hurts. And some of you are tough and you don't worry about it. I get it. But I don't like getting stung. But do you know there are certain wasps and bees that when they sting you, they only get one stinger. And so they lose that stinger. And I was thinking about this. 1 Corinthians 15, It's not on your notes. But it said it, Paul in his crescendo on the resurrection of the body quotes from isaiah and hosea and he says death is swallowed up in victory o oh, death where is your victory o oh, death where is your sting i thought about jesus on the cross someone had to take the sting and he took the sting he took the one sting that the devil had and he took it from him on the cross he disarmed him so now like for anyone that's been stung before in real life with a, with a bee or a wasp, and you hear a bzz, you're like, ah, you know, you freak out because it's like I don't want to feel that again. But when you when you see the, the work of the evil one in your in your life and in, in people, he's buzzing around, but his stinger has been taken by what Jesus did. He still has that power to try to sow fear discord, all the stuff that he's behind. And yet we now have the authority and power and truth to walk without all that stuff because of Jesus taking that for us. And we're, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 that if the ruler of this world or the God of this world being Satan had known what would happen by crucifying the Lord of glory, he would have never done it. He didn't know. He thought, aha, oh, I got him now. I'm killing the Son of God in human flesh. And yet it was the plan of God through that. You ever wonder why Jesus often would say, heal somebody and say, shh, don't say anything about it. Go go do what Moses said to do. You'd think he would want everybody to jump up and down, but there was this in the unseen world that Jesus didn't want the cat out of the bag just too too quick about who he was until... You know, we talked about this in our series on on the unseen world, that Jesus picked a fight, so to speak, at at Caesarea Philippi, and he knew what was coming when Peter said, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. I am. Bring it on. It's where he did. And so Jesus did that for us. It was God's plan from eternity past. In Revelation, Jesus gets the title as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. None of this caught God off guard. And I know that's an interesting question. Like, well, God, if you knew all this was going to happen, why, why, did you, why did you let it happen? I don't know. I'm not him. We could, he'll spend all eternity explaining it to us. But in his plan, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We're going to take communion this morning. And as we move in to taking communion... I felt as I was praying about this, a challenge to all of us to grow in our confidence in the gospel. It's really good news. He defeated the three enemies of our lives. He defeats sin, nailed it to the cross. He defeated death, and he defeated evil. Now we can walk in our life with confidence. We can be free from shame, guilt, give it all to him. And if someone watching or here has never placed your faith, Come into agreement with Jesus about who he is, because he's already Lord and Savior. We don't make him Lord. We don't make him Savior. We agree with him. That's what faith really is, is I agree. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. I want to follow you. That we would grow in our confidence in him, come into agreement with him, and then align our lives according to the gospel. Like Pursue a life of, of living in the newness of Christ, walking in love, walking in forgiveness, when it's hard to do those things. Walking in his power, seeking him, walking in the spirit. That's aligning ourselves with the gospel, how we think, act, and speak as his disciples. Like Jesus, how do you want me to enter this day? Lord, when I encounter a difficult person, help me to speak love. And we're all imperfect, following the perfect. But let's, let's grow. I mean, we're coming in on a new year. This is the time of the year we start thinking about what we want next year to be like. What are our goals going to be? I think the best goal is to be, keep becoming like Jesus in your relationships, in your marriages, in your friendships, your families. Allowing Him to grow us. That's what I think he wants. He wants confidence in what he's done. And the more confident we are in what he's done, the more closer we feel to him and with him. So we're gonna, uh, we're gonna sing a little bit and then as we begin singing, you can come up and grab the communion. So you, you can do that. There are options. It's not like a buffet or something, but there is things that have not, you know, if people, you want a little piece of bread, there's gluten-free juice. So there's tables on both sides. Let's make our way, grab the elements and uh, they're going to sing and then we'll take it together.
1: say Take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to see. the broken to
0: lie on the night he was betrayed the Lord was with his disciples and he broke bread and he said this he lifted it to heaven he blessed it and he said this bread represents my body that's going to be broken for you. Let's take the bread. In the same manner, after supper... Jesus poured a cup of wine and he lifted it to heaven and he blessed it and he said this cup represents the new covenant the new covenant in, in my blood and every time we take the bread and we take the juice we're remembering the victory of Christ we're remembering the, the mission of Christ That what's in his name the name above every name. You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's us. He saved you from your sin. Let's take the juice together. Let's sing this chorus one more time. I just... God bless each of you with his peace, his joy. May you be aware of his presence that is with you wherever you go. May you know his forgiveness and comfort. May you walk in the blessing of walking with Jesus. May you, when the hard times come, have confidence in the gospel have confidence in his faithfulness have confidence in his goodness may you walk by faith and not by sight may there be healings physically in those that are sick dealing with health stuff God pour out your healing power the grace of healing to be released into bodies Lord may there be healing in relationships that need healing may there be strong marriages centered on following you Lord Jesus may the young people of Novation take a stand and say I'm going to follow Jesus not in the future, but today I'm going to follow him. May our young people be blessed with strong faith, confidence in Jesus. And may all of us with one mouth, one heart, glorify the Lord Jesus in love, unity, faith, and hope. In Jesus' name, amen.